Amelena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Managing a large open source project comes with many challenges. Some are about how code is pushed and running tests, and others are about the community of contributors. Paris Pittman, developer relations program manager at Google, explains how mentoring is an engineering problem and not a people problem. We talked about the different ways in which they're scaling mentoring to thousands of Kubernetes contributors and the role of technology in this process. Paris explained how they gather data and use that to understand the different types of mentoring that can be provided. Before we get on with the show, I'd like to thank Blind for being a new sponsor of the show. Blind is an anonymous app for tech workers to discuss, debate, and talk about compensation, corporate policies, workplace harassment, and more. I've used it for over a year and find it really helpful. There are 50,000 companies active on Blind. Check if yours is there and connect with other employees. Blind is available for iOS, Android, and online at teamblind.com. Go to teamblind.com to download the app. Thank you. Paris Pittman, Developer Relations Program Manager at Google, is joining us today. Paris, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm so happy to have you also. And I met you at KubeCon earlier this year, where you gave a talk titled Scaling Non-Traditional Contributor Mentoring. Today, we're going to be talking about how mentoring is an engineering problem and not a people problem and how it can scale. First, I want to begin by setting up the context for this. You work specifically on Kubernetes at Google, and Kubernetes is a really large open source project. Can you give some context of how big the project is? Sure. On GitHub, on the GitHub organization, that would be github.com slash Kubernetes, we have something like, I think, 57 repositories, all of which are huge in themselves. One of them includes Kubernetes, which is uh, pretty much the core system. Uh, but we're really talking about 13,000 contributors, and that's coming from dev stats. And we label contributors, people who are filing issues, PRs, making comments. So that's definitely huge. And we're one of the largest open source projects on GitHub in its entirety. So uh, that just kind of gives you just some scale there. It's, it's definitely large. <laughs> and you said 13,000 contributors, right? Correct. Yep. That's, again, if you include people who are making comments, which, again, are very appreciated to us because uh, at this stage in the project, people's opinions, suggestions, and comments count for us, especially, uh, you know, when, it talk, when we're talking about user engagement and user feedback and things like that. So we definitely have a definition of contributor uh, that's very broad. But even when you're talking about just PRs, so people that are just pushing code, for instance, or docs, you're still talking about a number that's in the thousands. In your talk, you mentioned that when you first joined Google, somebody in your team said, we need mentoring, and you were sort of in charge of figuring this out in the context of Kubernetes and the Kubernetes community. Yeah. What was your process for discovering if there was a need for mentoring? It was actually Sarah Novotny. Uh, she's my boss, and she is the one that actually set up the Kubernetes community to date uh, as we know it. 
And the task was really, I think we need mentoring. We need a pipeline of people in all respects of the word of pipeline, not necessarily just new, but according to Kubernetes membership requirements, these things are member, reviewer, approver, maintainer, the code base and the doc space and things like that. So what I did was essentially uh, broke it down uh, like an engineering problem. So, I mean, if we're creating a feature or a site or whatever it is that you're creating uh, in engineering terms. Uh, You do things like user studies and focus groups and uh, pull data, all of which we did. And everyone that I spoke to said that uh, they would benefit from some form of mentorship. What that some form was kind of led me into the next rabbit hole of research of, you know, mentorship programs that are currently running in open source and the rest of the world. I think that's important, too, because I wanted to look outside the box of just open source and just tech, too. But I mean, as far as discovery is concerned, I mean, for instance, one of the data points that we pulled was about owner's files. And owner's files is really how we break the code base down into who owns what parts of the pie, if you will. And those, as you can imagine, it's a very small number at the top with a large funnel at the bottom, large funnel being new contributors, drive-by contributors, and members. And we saw that as time went on, the owner's files were starting to kind of level out, which meant that the pipeline issue that Sarah was kind of mentioning and alluding to was indeed real. Uh, It's definitely not at a point of alert by any means or in like a red zone, but it's at that perfect time when I think a project should look into building uh, specific structured ways for people to move throughout the project. Mm Mm-hmm. You were talking about owner's files and that they were leveling out. Can you explain what this means? Because it was not clear to me what the issue was that you spotted. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, leveling out, meaning uh, new owners weren't being introduced into the files and more owners. I mean, as you, you know, as the project grows, we get more and more issues, which is good. I mean, I guess I'm bad too, but it's good because the more people that are looking at these issues, the faster they close and the faster that they get a response. And the more people that are in owner's files are more people that are capable of making decisions and doing PR merges and people with certain rights to the organization that would make issues and PRs and things like that just move smoother and faster within the project. I think you often hear in open source that, you know, oh, there's only so many people that can do X thing, you know, again, like merge a pull request or cut a release or, you know, something along those lines. And in those roles, it's important that, you know, we have as many that we need in order to scale the project, put it that way. I see. And at the beginning, you mentioned when you were facing this investigation, you said, I'm going to treat it like an engineering problem. People sometimes treat mentoring like a people problem. Can you explain what this means? Yeah, I think that they just kind of throw a, an easy solution out. And an easy solution is solutions that have already been created. Like, for instance, oh, let's just do you know, basic one-on-one mentoring match and like, let's see what everybody else is doing or let's just use this cookie cutter uh, way of thinking about mentoring or let's just use this one third-party service to do mentoring. Whereas I think there's different and new approaches and we can actually look at uh, data and ask people what they want and formulate a automated scalable system because 
people don't scale, systems do. So just adding different components and flares to kind of what we already know in the knowns and the unknowns, I think would just make for uh, possibly a more successful program. What are the ways in which mentoring can be introduced to a, an open source project of the size of Kubernetes? For example, I imagine we're not just going to be doing a bunch of one-on-ones between people. That's correct. I think when you identify the needs exactly and figure out what your capabilities are, I think that's how you can start introducing different concepts of mentoring. I mean, for instance, we can get into it later, but for instance, like peer mentoring. So, I mean, one of the things that I found out in Discovery is that there's been a lot of natural peer mentoring going on in the project already. A lot of natural grassroots, especially uh, within companies uh, like as large as Google and Red Hat who are contributing at, at great numbers. There's already a lot of peer mentorship going on. So I thought, how can we capitalize on that and provide more structure around it essentially to scale this? So I think open source projects can look at kind of what they're already doing because grassroots mentoring is usually what they're doing and it because it's just comes naturally to people. I mean, when you know you have the time and uh, you can answer questions and you're a friendly individual, then more than likely you're going to want to help with mentorship. So I think it's important when you're formulating mentorship programs to figure out what you do well already and then build around that. So, I mean, peer mentoring was just one. And then I definitely capitalized on the friendly part. I think our contributors are extremely friendly with both new and current contributors alike and, and helping people along. So I really wanted to use that. The one area that I thought that we weren't necessarily good in, and it's an area that I think that most open source projects aren't, is time. That's the number one concern that I heard from everyone that I talked to is I would do either A, more, or B, I would just mentor, period, if there was more hours in the day. You know, unfortunately, I'm not, you know, mother nature and I can't roll back the hands of time. But what we can do is build programs with time and consideration and time meaning taking out things that are super large chunks of time. So for instance, goal setting that I found in mentoring seems to be an issue for multiple reasons. I mean, I think humans aren't necessarily awesome in goal setting, but training mentors and goal setting and figuring out what exactly someone is want is you know wanting out of the thing that the, out of the relationship that they're getting involved in seems to be very difficult but if you create these programs with already pre-baked in target goals for instance uh, in our group mentoring program if you're a current member and you want to get to that next level that's your goal so that you know we set criteria behind that and that criteria is what you hit so it's a more structured thing than it is, again, with this like one-on-one approach of, you know, a forever mentor and you maybe meet sometimes and, you know, more ambiguous type of things. I'm essentially trying to take the ambiguity out. So you're mentioning some of those goals are easy for people to identify. Is this kind of like a game where you pick, oh, sure, I want to grow to the next level or I want to, you know, contribute more? Is that how it's structured? Yeah, I definitely haven't thought about it as a game. That's probably a good thing for me to think about, though. So good idea. <laughs> Gamifying mentoring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's definitely it. We're giving people, 
you know, like I said, these pre-baked goals, if you will. And then, and that, because that's really what I heard that people wanted, they said that they wanted mentorship in order to gain more decision-making access into the project or, you know, gain something at some higher level, you know, that they would get out of it. So I thought that that was important. When you first did the survey to investigate if people wanted mentoring. In your talk, you mentioned a lot of people did say, sure, I need a mentor. Was this true? Yes and no. I think a lot of people just need quick answers, especially in a project that's as complex as Kubernetes when you're adding different layers of abstractions that have you know, never been created before. So I think that docs actually play a huge part in what we're also trying to do better. And we've kind of forked the, the notion of, is it mentoring or is it docs? And I found that as we've been improving the contributor guide, and we actually have brought on several new contributors just from us asking people to help us you know, with a new contributor guide, we found that that takes a lot of the ambiguity out and it also helps them with a better on-ramp and a better success plane because we have all of these things documented and how to be successful. So that was definitely crucial for us, I think. And, and that's kind of what I've heard a lot from people who come to me and specifically say, hey, I want a mentor. You know, I specifically say why and drill down harder. Yeah. I mean, not obviously aggressively, that sounded weird, but, you know, just drill down into, you know, why they're looking for mentorship and things like that. And typically it is, hey, I just want to ask a quick question, or I just want to have someone that's readily accessible for me to ask quick questions, sort of a mentor on demand. And that's actually how we built one program called Meet Our Contributors. So this is a monthly YouTube series that we have that has two different times, a first Wednesday of the month to help with our global audience for multiple time zones. And this is, a, you know, roughly three to seven contributors that all jump on the call with different backgrounds and in different special interest groups of the project. And we answer questions on Slack and Twitter and DMs if people want to be anonymous, which is totally fine. But you ask questions like you would ask a mentor. We get all kinds of questions. Uh, we've gotten, uh, what's your favorite color? To, why is my test flaking? Uh, can you talk to me a little bit more about the CI? and help me understand what's going on there, um, all the way to why Kubernetes, how do I be an approver? It's really spanned the gamut. And we've actually seen a considerable number of views from this, and we answer at least 11 questions a session. So this is really scalable. It's seen uh, from hundreds of people. And it gives us that chance to answer those super quick questions. And again, that would take away that one-on-one, -on -one, forever, ambiguous kind of typical relationship that you see a lot. And like you mentioned earlier, this is a very clear case of leveraging technological advancements, like hopping on a video call in Slack to scale mentorship. Yep. Exactly. I think that we have enough technology at this point to automate and to allow for mentoring no matter where you are. And again, like the famous phrase that has just literally been indented in me throughout my career is people don't scale, systems do. So there's ways to essentially try to take me out of this process as well. So I would love to see a point where all of these programs can scale without me and I'm not a human blocker. 
that's another thing, uh, just a personal thing of mine is I never want to be a human blocker. And I think you see in mentoring programs a lot that there are so many human buffers and blockers in that process, whether it's in the matching process, whether it's in just the setup and the administrative and the coordination and the feedback and the training. That's a lot of humans in that process. And a lot of that can be automated. So it's very cool to see kind of what we're doing in the space. I'm working with my partner, Garrett Rodriguez here at Google, and he's got some really cool ideas cooking up about how we could automate this and even wrap it into some containers. <laughs> I know we actually get a little meta here, but we're really psyched about it. So we're hoping that by KubeCon Seattle, we can have something cool to demo. So check it out. That would be great. I'm really looking forward to that because this talk was really good. Oh, thank you. I was so nervous. This was the one talk in my life where I'm presenting my ideas that are raw. Some of them are hot takes. And I was just so nervous, but it was okay. And I can only improve from here. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anytime a presenter I think is presenting an extremely fresh topic that they've been working and researching forever, it's it's definitely a, a highlight of, of your career for sure. Mentoring can become toxic. Can you talk about the ways in how this can happen? Yeah. In the very early stages of my research with mentoring, and of course, I've also heard horror stories in my past as well with creating other mentorship programs elsewhere. But one of the things that kept pulling up was how mentorship can be toxic and toxic in ways of things like, uh, you know, your mentor not having a bond with. That doesn't necessarily immediately sound toxic, but uh, if you're entering into the situation where you uh, already feel overwhelmed, lost, you know, insert feelings here, and your mentor either writes you off, uh, is too busy for you, you know, insert excuse here as to uh, kind of what's going on, or even just simply giving you bad advice, which is a thing, you know, it's a thing that happens. All of those things can create a bond or a relationship that just doesn't work. And a lot of people that I talk to, including myself, that have been in these forced, quote, quote, mentorship agreements, you know, again, this like one one-on-one -on -one match where you don't necessarily have control over over who you're matching with and things like that, that can kind of be devastating and take up a lot of time to people's either on-ramp or growth. And I mean, harassment, unfortunately, is in our society. And when we're entering into situations where outsiders have no insight as to what's being said in these one-on-one -on -one relationships, we can't control that narrative. So I think it's important, again, when we build these programs that we take all of those things into consideration. And so that's why I built these uh, environments with safe spaces, large spaces, and even sometimes public spaces and private spaces, depending on what the program is, but spaces that would be accessible to people and transparent. Yes. And also, like you said, having a call with a group also makes it more safe, I think. Yep. Exactly. And that's when, again, the peer mentoring comes into play. So even if there is that one person in your group that, you know, you're like, hey, I don't really care for that person, uh, but they're not necessarily doing anything wrong. Maybe they're just pushy or or something like that, then you still have the rest of your peers and you also have your mentor. So it's, I feel like higher success rates there and easier to to kind of pick up the pieces if one falls, if you will. 
what are some of the other reasons why mentoring programs fail? It's very broad, I guess. That's a good question. I would say lack of training when most people are, again, building these one-on-one type of matching programs with, you know, infinite time and scope. There really is this lack of training around what the expectation of the mentor is versus what the expectation of the mentee is. And then that's also, uh, I think, a failure point too right there in and itself. Some programs put way too much weight on the mentee. Other programs put way too much weight on the mentor. And there is a uneven distribution of kind of work and balance there. So and then one person doesn't know what they're supposed to do. And then one person feels like they're being pushy. I mean, just last night I was having a conversation with a mentor about, you know, that he gave someone uh, an issue and it's when should he start, you know, kind of not pushing by any means, but when should he check in? And if they say, oh, they're, you know, they're not going to be able to work on it. How does that work? So, I mean, there's like, there's training involved with, you know, just how people ask things of volunteers, especially in a, a mentor situation. So there's definitely a lot of, I think, just training involved when you're building programs that have a lot of ambiguity in it. So again, and that's why when we were thinking about building these things, it was really a, let's take some of that ambiguity out. And then of course, we'll still train. And of course, we'll still set expectations. I mean, of course, all of those things come into play, but we're not necessarily doing that at some kind of large scale. Like again, if we went with the traditional one-on-one route, then we would have to really uh, think about training in huge, large numbers and things like that. Yes. And like you mentioned, you're not going with the one-on-one route, which is very traditional. And sometimes people just get put together and are told like you're meeting for the next two months or something like that. Another component from the Kubernetes community is this notion of self-service mentoring. Can you explain this? Yeah, self-service mentoring. That's where the automation comes in. It should be you fill out something, form of some sort. I mean, of course, that's kind of this traditional aspect. But the form is asking all the right questions. The form is uh, capable of automating the next step, the next step being some kind of match. And then that match would ultimately kick off the next steps. And that next steps could be calendar invites, YouTube's streams, whatever it is, it's kicking off some next step. So that when someone comes either comes into the project or maybe even a current approver, for instance, decides that, hey, I think mentoring would be a good next step for me, uh, they can go into the docs, they can figure out what program is best suited for them, and then ultimately kick off their own process. So that's what I mean by self-service. We're definitely not there yet yeah. by any means, but that's the the dream, at least the KubeCon Seattle dream. <laughs> and so we're working on it. But again, that's one of the things that I think is really super important in scaling. Yes. So I did want to add one thing though. I didn't necessarily kick one-on-one mentoring to the curb completely. We do have one program called the one-on-one hour. I think that there is still a lot of value in one-on-one time. That's definitely not what I'm saying. I think it's one-on-one needs to just be better structured uh, and better managed. And the one-on-one hour provides people the opportunity to actually get FaceTime. So using Zoom, getting FaceTime for one hour, one time with one mentor. 
And then up front, they have to pick from a, a selected pool of topics. And then that's kind of the pre-selection of like the goal slash activity. And then the mentor would ultimately either skilled in one of those areas or be really good at finding out the resources for one of those areas. So things like a code-based tour, uh, we hear that a lot in Kubernetes is, oh, I would just wish somebody would give me a tour of this code base or uh, break apart this code tree and, and tell me where, you know, the, tell me about the dependencies, et cetera. Another is just pair programming. Uh, so this gives that person an hour for, uh, you know, if they're working on a PR or if they uh, don't know what they want to work on and they want to just, they have Go experience. And we know that they have Go experience because they filled out this form with the right questions. I think that's that's it's a really cool thing. We're actually kicking off the first one today as a test. So uh, I'm sorry, the test has already been done, but we're kicking off the first real one today. So I, I think that this is going to really grow and scale. And that also gives the mentor too a very limited time burden because they're only expected to do one a month and no more than three. So that would be a, a range from one to three hours of dedicated time a month towards a very specific task. I guess the main takeaway of this then is given the scale of Kubernetes, which is 13,000 contributors, we have different flavors of doing mentoring. There's a portion of one-on-one, also pair programming. There's also group mentoring, peer mentoring. So better documentation. Documentation is a substitute for mentoring in some cases. Yeah. In some cases. I mean, I definitely not all. Definitely don't quote me on that one. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what I'm getting at is just summarizing this where some people might be, yeah, I need a mentor to get started with contributing to Kubernetes. That does sound like a documentation page, getting started contributing to Kubernetes. So I could definitely see it in those cases. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Paris, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. It's been really great talking to you. Yeah, no, super great. I love talking about mentoring. So if anybody out there is listening and has neat ideas about new ways of doing things or even uh, has the magic touch of automation and loves spreadsheets, <laughs> yeah, uh, contact and reach out. That's great. Thank you, Paris. Thank you so much. Thanks to Blind for being a new sponsor of the show. Go to teamblind.com, that's teamblind.com, to download the app and connect with other employees from your company. Check it out. 